So right now, joined by Tone Deaf, the creator, QN5 Music, released countless albums and from other people himself, Archetype, Polymer just dropped. Um, you know, I know you've been working with other artists and, you know, getting Polymer out was a huge step for you. Um, before you really get into the album, man, you know, just to address what the fans have been asking about, especially I know this is a hot topic on the message boards um, on QN5. Um, the DVD, man, like, how's that going right now? Because I know a lot of fans have pre-ordered it and are wondering, hey, when am I going to get that DVD? I know you've been working yeah. hard on it. Um, just to clear that up, man, so we can get into the album and the music, you know, how is that DVD coming? Uh, it's coming out really, really dope. I actually, I have about an hour and a half's worth um, right now on the edit. Um, it might shrink a little bit once I do final revisions and kind of cut out some of the fat, but... Um, I, it's it's about an hour and a half long, which is way more than I was anticipating when I started doing this. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, as as my my homie Gaster said, he's like he's like I don't know too many people that make an entire documentary as a, like a side project to the to the original project. So um, it's definitely taken a lot longer than I wanted it to, but I will say that I'm super excited about the quality of it. And I'm hoping to get it done within the next few weeks so that I can get everything shipped out this spring and everything. Everybody will be happy once they see what they get. So, Awesome. Yeah. Um, yep. Say what's up to Gaster for me too, man. Um, Definitely. But, you know, that, that's what's incredible about you, man. And that's what I really have always respected about you. And um, it's just your work ethic and the way that you really... Um, go all out you know like whether it was you going all out for other artists in the q and five days um or just really out working and out doing what everyone else is you know considering the standard for releasing music you know where does that come Thank from you. man that that drive to just um go as hard as you do man because it's, it's not like you know this is your only thing i mean you've got a life you've got a day job like you've got other stuff going on you know where does that drive come from though to just do what you do well, thank you, man. I appreciate it, dude. Um, I think, I think in general, you know, I really want the people who support me to to get more than you know than they can expect. Like to me, over delivering is for the fans is something that's really really important to me because you know they could buy uh, any anybody's record. You know, they they could have been you know just really happy with. A record in a slimline CDR, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like a mixtape cover, and I would have felt personally like they were shortchanged. Like if I was a fan of somebody, I would want the full experience. I would want everything. I want to know everything about it. I want liner notes. I want you know new photographs. I want a fucking documentary about the record. Like I don't just want the record. You know what I mean? So delivering for 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 the fans. I'm giving them everything that I would want, but trying to step it up so that I know that I'm giving them something that they're not getting from anybody else. That's great, man. And, you know, you've always, you know, held on to a really close relationship with your fans, man. You know, uh, dating back to the Q and Five message board days. You know, I saw it at Rocksteady. Just the amount of fans that would come up to the table and interact and, and say what's up. Like, you know, why is that so important to you? Well. These are the people. These are the people that are, you know, keeping the ship running. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like even when 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 shit gets dark, and we've had some you know close calls in the in, in the day with like, wait, I don't know if this label is going to exist tomorrow morning. Like we just got into the fucked up situation, or 
you know, I had a situation years years ago where, you know, we 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 hit a brick wall and a project, you know, um, for a project, and we lost some funding, and they came through and they they literally bought extra copies of the record in order to keep the ship afloat and keep it going. You know, it's shit like that. That's like the support that you can't even get from family. You know what I mean? Like so, when I when I see how the blue schoolers especially have supported Q and five thick and thin fuckery or not you know it really really it it really really makes me appreciative of them and i think that's you know that's one of the many reasons why i go so hard and trying to make you know shit that's that's gonna blow them away you know and um let them know that i appreciate them so saying what up at a message saying what up at a table i mean that's just par for the course you know yeah it is, but it's something that not all artists place a value on it or really work to do, you know, or it's just a simple what up and keep it moving. But like, well, there's a because I, there's a danger in that. I mean, I, I feel like, especially when we, you know, when we were starting to do the whole online community uh, style um, label, is, you know, you 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 can become too familiar to the point where you're not interesting anymore. You know, it's like. Home, my homie session said it's like you can't be Jesus in your own hometown it's like when people get too familiar with you you could be incredible but they you're just like that dude from down the block or that guy that you see all the time or oh yeah I know him I gave him a ride at the airport you know what I mean like it's not <laughs> you're, you're no longer a god or a superstar and I think the reason why artists try to be mysterious is because that familiarity breeds contempt you know and um and that's and, and and that's and that's a thing but i think now because it's more commonplace that people are kind of interacting with fans more and they realize the value of building a community um you know you you, you just have to embrace it and uh you know you got to know how when to when to keep your distance and stuff like that you don't want to become too too accessible but you know i i feel like i i do a good job balancing that you know right yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, and it, it really shows too. I mean, when you look at the fan interaction today and the value placed by a lot of artists, I mean, when you guys are doing it, that wasn't the norm. I mean, it's it's safe to say you guys were ahead of the curve there. Oh, definitely, a hundred percent. And you know, now that Polymer is out, man, you know, anytime you release an album, it's a big deal, man, because you know people know you and respect you as an artist. But you don't have a huge discography, so the fact that Polymer is coming out, that's huge. You know, you dropped it over yeah. the summer. How did it feel, man, when it was actually out and people could stream it, they could download it, and just hear it and experience it? Like, what did that mean to you? It's a, it was a huge, huge, like, burden off my shoulders to get it, to get it done and out. And then there's that whole, you know, there's, it's a, it's a comp- combination of fear and you know, excitement and just uncertainty that just, it's a cocktail for excitement that just makes it all worth it. Like, you don't know how people are going to react to it, especially with the last part of the of the Polymer record, the, the, Phantom, the Phantom EP portion. The style of music is something that, you know, that's so foreign to anything I've done before. And wanting to see how they were going to react to it it was scary because I was like, okay, I may have just gone off the deep end here. And maybe some people won't follow me off this cliff, but I was proud of it and I was excited to see how they were going to react to it. So when I started to see the reviews come back from 
you know, from the fans and people that were hearing it and were like, wow, like this is, as this, this is like unheard of. I haven't heard anything like this before. I mean, that was like a level of validation that I wasn't expecting. I was hoping for it, but I wasn't expecting it, you know, and um, it was really awesome to see. So it was a great, great moment for me. But then immediately after releasing it, I was like, fuck, now I got to finish this documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. One more thing. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and you know the fact that like you release it through different EPs, man, and then had the EPs fit together as one big puzzle. I mean, that's a that's a really cool concept. Um, Thank you. You know, when you started that out, did you know how each EP was going to come out, um, or did did the puzzle kind of make itself as each piece? You know, each piece, each piece being an EP was created. Um, Well, I needed to have uh, an outline first because the only way this was ever going to work is if I planned it out. So, the 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 fly by the seat of your pants approach would absolutely not work for a project like this. So, I knew what I was going to do before I started it, but I was creating the songs themselves. You know, as it was happening. So as I as I created each EP, they were basically being made from scratch for each of the EPs. Because essentially, I was making the, the entire album in sequence um, and done in a way where it was progressively getting more and more, um, more and more dense production-wise and lyrically. So you know, you listen to Glut, and it's you know, it's the most it's it's the most easily accessible and you know, danceable and just sort of almost vapid of all the EPs and the more the further along you went in the process of releasing the EPs you know the songs got darker and the songs got more dense uh, production wise more layered more lush and lyrically more you know way more um, introspective and and even you know hardcore (laughs) you know what I mean so I had to have a plan up front and um, I knew what all the EPs were going to be and what the order was going to be and I knew what the songs were going to be. Um, so that when I hit the album, I, I, everything was interconnected in a way that made sense. Um, and honestly, that was the, the real trick of doing all of this was making it fit together in a way that narratively made sense and helped create the life story that it ended up being. Yeah. So. Did you feel like that? Did you feel like you accomplished that too? Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm actually super duper proud of the way that the album came out. Um, the structure of the record works 100% for me. It really, it like it works on multiple levels where not only is it just, you know, my own personal life story, but, you know, from a, from on a musical standpoint, there there's movements in it. There's, it, it starts off with this sort of overture and then the, the the story of it begins on the second song, and then from there it works all the way to the end, and, and it just it gets more and more sonically crazy as it goes on until we end with, you know, the first time wall of sound has ever been used in a hip hop record. You know what I mean? It's it just it, it ramps up, and there's like a there's a nice intermission in the middle where the record resets with Phantom, uh, between Sunrise and Phantom, and then it kind of builds up again. So there's literal acts, you know, like like a like a great stage play or a film um, within the record, and I'm super duper proud of that, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, 
when, when you look at that too, you know, what was the biggest challenge in terms of getting these pieces to actually um, fit and, and to make sure like as you're as you're telling the story and you're, you're going through your personal life and you're going through the music the musicality of it and creating these these ebbs and flows in production and what you did like you know how, what was the biggest challenge in making that actually work um the biggest challenge for me was like wrangling the wall of sound portions of the record um, like I, when I started Polymer, I knew that that's where I was going to end up, and I knew that that was the goal, was to kind of break ground and be the first to do this on a rap record. But I didn't know how to do it, <laughs> so I had to learn how to make that sound. And um, you know, that's that's something that's it's it's almost like a niche rock sound um, or a, a niche niche alternative music sound that. You know, it's it's only fairly been around, you know, since the 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 early '90s, and it kind of came in, in in vogue for a bit, and then went out of vogue for a bit, but now it's back. But it's never been used in a rap record. So, you know, as a hip as somebody who traditionally produces hip hop music, to learn how to make that sound without guitars, um, as it's traditionally been done, uh, it was it was a big learning curve, you know, and. The, the way that I released the EPs, you know, everything being synth-based, like everything had to be generated from scratch. There's no samples. So it's basically, you know, one gigantic learning curve for me. So by the end of the record, I had sort of learned so much about production and, and uh, you know, using synthesizers and as a producer or just mixing and learning how to layer things, not to mention the fact that I had to get an entirely new computer to run the songs because they were so deep and layered production wise um that was the biggest obstacle was learning how to create this wall of sound and 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 and, and make it work in this genre and um i feel like i accomplished that so i'm super duper happy with it no doubt and for fans that might not be familiar with it you know can you break down what the wall of sound is and like also you know just like how many tracks are we talking about when you're when you're you know mixing these songs and, and putting them together and like just pulling it off i mean um it sounds like a huge undertaking especially like learning curve <laughs> yeah definitely um essentially wall of sound it's a term that was used um back in the the 60s to describe the sound that um, a producer named Phil Spector pioneered at uh, Gold Sun Studios in the uh, in the '60s, and what he would what he would do is he was the first guy to bring in an echo chamber and multiple passes with a gigantic orchestra section, choir, uh, a, a full choir, a band. There'd be like three drummers, like like six guitarists, uh, brass. It was literally everything he could find, and they would record it multiple takes of it and then record it through the echo room so it sounded gigantic so like songs like be my baby or um you know uh unchained melody from righteous brothers that just had these gigantic soundscapes um and eventually adapted by the beach boys but then in the in the uh, over time that that sound kind of got picked up it turned into psych this, uh, some psychedelic rock records and then maybe some Velvet Underground, and then Cocteau Twins picked it up in the 80s. And then in the 90s, there was a whole movement called Shoegaze, and they built it up in a way where 
it was it got so loud and so distorted. They had but had so many layers that it just turned into this gigantic wall of sound. It just it just hits you. It's it's basically as loud as music can possibly get without just becoming white noise. So I wanted to 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 to, to learn how to make that sound. So you know, bands that have hit that is like Sigaros and uh, you know uh, Mew or M83. Uh, bands like that 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 kind of reach that level of noise but it's also melodic and 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 beautiful you know um so that's that's what the wall of sound is um in terms of how many tracks <laughs> um i would say on the song control the song is about it's almost 10 minutes long um i definitely was up or, or, around you know the 110 115 track mark um for sure and that's that many tracks with effects and compressions and filters on each and every single one of those tracks all working in tandem so it was an absolute motherfucker to mix it took me about nine months to mix that record my goodness that's crazy yeah yeah man and, and you know i was talking to, to domingo um and we we're talking about polymer and he described you as an underground kanye west in terms of your creativity um just the, the, the way that you push your your boundaries and the way that you are so outside of the box and not just like you know tone deaf does this and that's it um what do you think about that comparison um you know it, you know do you feel like it's accurate um i definitely feel like it, it, the, the interesting interesting thing with with i guess the dynamic between my work and some some of the stuff that Kanye does is you know we we're we're of similar age and we're from a similar place so I feel like we have a lot of similar influences. Um, you know I I grew up in Chicago uh, until I was twelve, <laughs> you know, and um, a lot of the or a lot of the stuff that that he seems to be into is stuff that I'm into. Like when he did um, late registration, he wanted to work with John Bryan. I'm a huge John Bryan fan. And so I know that he's he's always looking to kind of work in a space that rap music hasn't gone before. But I definitely feel like we're kindred spirits in a sense, you know. Um, but at this point, I don't I don't know how much of it is by committee, um, because I know that he works with you know large swaths of different artists and producers to create what he does. It's just when I work, I work alone. So I feel like. You know the work that I'm doing; it might be a little bit more experimental um, at this point uh, of our <laughs> of our um, you know of our output than some of the stuff he, he's he's doing. Because I, I I don't know what he's generating and what he isn't, so it's it's hard to say, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but there's been there's been multiple times where, especially around when uh, around '05, I remember hearing. Uh, um, uh, the first one was College Dropout, right? Right. The first Kanye yeah. record? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember hearing I remember hearing College Dropout like a month before Archetype came out. And it was like the first time I had heard it. And I was on tour and I was so pissed because he was using these gigantic... He was using string sections. And that wasn't something that was, you know, very common on rap records. I know Wyclef did it on, on the Carnival. But that was like a fucking... A totally random event that nobody followed up on, you know? Um, and so when he started using string sections and stuff like that, I just remember being upset because I was like, fuck, like I thought I was going to be the first guy to do this and he's doing it. He's going to get all the credit for it now because he's on a major. 
<laughs> you know. And so every time, every time I would come up with something, I'd be like, "Fuck!" Like he would do it and he'd get all the credit for it. And then, uh, and then when he started dabbling in electronic music, I remember when he released Jesus. I was like, "Come the fuck on!" Like I just released this like electronic record where it's you know a hard electronic shit with like dubstep breaks and, and drops and all this kind of shit. And he was doing all this similar kind of stuff on Jesus, and I was just like, "Man!" Like every time I come up with something, this dude does something really similar to it. Like either I'm bugged. <laughs> or we're just kindred spirits you know what i'm saying so um it's a cool comparison but i i, I honestly don't don't uh i don't i'm not thinking what would kanye do i'm thinking more like what would fucking anthony gonzalez do <laughs> or what would what would brian eno or david boy do what would pink floyd do like that's what i think when i make records you know what i mean yeah, that, that's that's awesome. That's what really you know puts you in a unique category, man. You know, and just thinking about what you're doing on Polymer, man. You know, um, between the subject matter, which we're about to get into in a minute, but also the music production, man. I mean, I feel like a lot of this record um, is is just about limits and like pushing those limits and, and challenging it. I mean, do you feel like that's a theme in your work? Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I know that I've always I've always looked to sort of, you know, m bring different different elements, musical elements to the table that I wasn't hearing in hip hop. You know, I've said this many times before, but the beauty, the, the hip hop's biggest strength and the beauty of it to me is the fact that it's in the bylaws. You have to innovate and come fresh, but more so it the, the genre itself becomes whatever you put into it. And that's something that no other genre really does well. But hip hop can become bossa nova, as in the case with Hotline Bling, or you, you know what I mean, or, or Dram. You know, right. it, it can become it can it can become uh, uh, um, psychedelic rock, like with Kind of Linguists. You know what I mean? Uh, it, along with a mix of you know Outkast and uh, Dungeon Fam Soul, like it can become whatever the fuck you put into it. And to me that's its biggest strength so when i when i make my work i'm trying to imbue it with as many of the things that i've learned as possible and i listen to a huge huge variety of different types of music you know what i'm saying and there's a so much shit that's untapped in hip-hop that nobody nobody even listens to and and like time signatures for example um that i feel like they're just untapped parts of the music that stunt its growth I think it's really important. So, I want it. I want to bring all those things into hip hop music because I feel that it will make the genre stronger and more varied. And, and you've always been open minded. I, I remember you telling me one time when you were real, you know, a lot younger, like Tori Amos um, was in a car you were in, like not the actual Tori Amos, but her. Like <laughs> <laughs> right, her, her album <laughs> And yeah. like just like what that did, man. Just like. Just like a different sound, a new sound, just like that exposure, like that it it kind of triggered you to like explore more. Yeah, definitely. Like I had only listened to hip hop until I was about 17, 18 years old until I heard this album. This uh, it was Under the Pink by Tori Amos. And, you know, everybody has their different things that kind of unlocks different parts of their brains, you know. Um, but for some reason, that record just opened up a whole part of my brain that I wasn't really using in terms of as a musician um and so i started hearing melody in a different way and harmony in a different way i 
taught myself how to play piano um, and started writing piano songs. And just that approach, just right there, that opened my ear up to all these other different genres that I never would have listened to beforehand. And and that's the thing that really, I think partially that experience kind of explains a lot of what I do because being that kid, 17 years old, and just being so close-minded about what hip-hop was and nothing else, you know, was allowed in the car. <laughs> you know, just being that close-minded and just being like, if it had singing on it, nah, that's, that's, that shit is whack. Or if there was a guitar on it, oh, that shit is corny. Or if it wasn't, you know, the fucking two-bar loop with a, with a primo scratch and a swing beat, like, I wasn't fucking with it, you know, when that was the shit at the time, you know? And so I know that there's there's kids out there now where it's like, oh, if it isn't a trap beat and somebody mumbling, like, that shit ain't hot, you know? And I'm constantly trying to defy those expectations and those limitations that people put on the music. And so... You know, as an artist, it kind of gives you a a chip on your shoulder to be like, okay, listen, idiot, dummy, listen. You need to listen to other things, and this might be the thing that changes it for you, or not. And the reason why you hate this is because you're being closed-minded, and you're not allowing yourself to experience other things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like I'm talking to myself as a kid when I'm making my own record, yeah. you know, because I know that I had that experience that changed my, fuck up, my whole fucking life. And so these people are out here just like living in a haze of just repetition, you know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was the same way, man, as a teenager. And like, I can't say that I'm like, you know, I still prefer hip hop over anything else. Um, I'm more mm -hmm. open minded now than I ever was, but I definitely see what you're, where you're you know, what you're saying there. And, and especially as a teenager, Word. man, it's just like, no one can tell you anything. Um, <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> I, I teach teenagers, yeah. man. It hasn't changed. Word, um, and you know what? And that's a, and that's the thing. Like, and and I don't want to come across as condescending in any way or holier than now because I listen to different types of music. But at the end of the day, you know, if as a as a human being, if you're just doing the same thing or stuck in the same place your whole entire life and you're not open to other things, I don't really feel like that's you know a positive thing for you. <laughs> like that can only like if you're not changing or open to change, man, that's 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 just seems like a really boring life. <laughs> uh -huh, for sure. <laughs> you know, you know. But that's just. Me. And you know, getting into some of the music, man. You know, you look at and they watch them. You know, just how autobiographical in nature that track is. Why is it so important, man, for you to to have that there, especially at the beginning of the album like that? Um, and they watch them is the. The narrative start point of the record so um and, uh, the things you don't see coming is that basically the intro it's the overture to the whole album it's like sets the mood and the tone of, and of what's to come um but then when i start rapping it's the first song um and they watch them as the first song that i rap on so that's technically where the where the album starts right so um and the story the story starts there so i started five years old um a poor boy just five years old Enchanted by the noise that chimed in his soul, right? So it, it basically kind of lays out where I, my first memories, you know, just being like super duper into music and art and, and, and all the things that I'm into just super early on in my life. And it kind of gives people a reference to like, oh, he didn't just, you know, 
start doing this, uh, you know, in his in his teens or his twenties. Like this, this has been going on since five, you know. <laughs> like so, um, I needed to start there, and I want uh, from an autobiographical standpoint, um, you know, th- this album is my life story. So that was the logical place to start. Was my first memories. That that makes a lot of sense, man. You know, um, I also love men. Like I hope this isn't a spoiler for anybody who hasn't heard it yet, but just like that self-realization on how you flipped it at the end and that, that just um, how it's, and they watched him and it, and it flips. Um, like, I love that twist, man. I thought, I thought that was really well done and really, um, really effective. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I want, I like to use a perspective as a writer and, and um, I did this, a similar thing on, um, I have a song called the distance where it was, you know, I, I can feel, it was always he, he, he. I did it all in third, and then I switched it to, to first person. Um, I really feel like when you switch perspectives in a, in a narrative sense, it really changes the entire, um, you know, uh, the entire feel of the story. Like, it, it becomes a completely different thing when you're watching something versus when you're describing something that's happened to yourself. So, and it also it also creates, you know, some tension and some distance between what's happening or, or what you're experiencing when you can step out outside of yourself and describe it. So when it becomes first person, it becomes way more personal. Um, and on the, and, and they watched them. I really wanted to sort of flip the script at the very end and, and find the, the irony in all of the things that have happened in my life, <laughs> you know, just being laughed at or applauded for certain things. And, or ridiculed for certain things and then be able to turn around at the end and say, okay, well, you know, I watched them do the things that they said that they never do or that they gave me shit for. And then I laughed, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and just looking at that, man, I mean, you know, for, for everything that you've done in the game, I mean, was it ever hard just to stay the course, you know, when you hear people telling you, don't do this or this is a waste of time or you read a bad review um, or you get shut out by a certain, you know, press, you know, like, was that hard, man, to say the course and, and, and keep that belief in yourself and your mission and what you were doing? Yes, it, it, it was incredibly hard. <laughs> you know, I, I think as, as artists, we're always looking for that validation by the world, you know, um, and the, one of the hardest things you learn is to, to take to take people's rejections and, and, and try to internalize internalize them in a way that's not going to be damaging to your 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 psyche or your output, you know. And I I definitely earlier in my career I would let those things kind of tear me apart. And um, I think a big result of that was me it was me making this record and but also learning how to callous myself in certain ways. So that I was able to kind of push forward and make new things and not have people in my ear or their rejections in the back of my head while I was creating. Um, all those things made me stronger and they made me a better artist. I don't think that I would have made the same kind of record had I released Archetype and it blew up and it got to a point where I was, you know, I'm probably on my fourth, fifth record at this point where it was like everybody wanted to work with me and I had a ton of help and everybody wanted to be down like what happens with everybody that has that viral hit you know when you're cool everybody wants a piece of it but when you're not cool 
you're just left alone and <laughs> nobody wants a piece of it. So it really tests your resolve and you start to, to really push yourself. And I, 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 I needed to do that. It was just me. I like had it, had it not just been me, I never would have learned how to produce wall of sound. I never would have looked at my own life and try to pick it apart and make this record, you know? So, um, I never would have came up with a multi EP format. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it all worked out, but yes, it was it was definitely fucking hard, and it's it still is. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I, and I can speak to myself, man. You know, just from my time in hip hop game, and you know how high we reached at hip hop game, and how quickly we fell, man. You know, you just I, I'm always doing the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, man. And I can go back and say, man, if it was 2008 all over again, I would do this, or I wouldn't have done this. I right. Have, I wouldn't have told this label person off. Like I would have respectfully declined the interview instead of writing two paragraphs um, about why they're terrible for even signing him. Like, I've done stuff like that. Like, <laughs> right. You know? Right. And like, uh, I mean, hindsight, you know? It is, man. Like, do you do you play that coulda, shoulda, woulda game at all, man? Because, like, you know, you look back and, you know, just knowing how analytical you are, man, you know, like, um, and just knowing that it's a natural thing to do. I mean, I've done it so many times. Like, do you ever say, like, man, I would have just done this differently or... If I had just done this, this would be different. Like, do you, do you play that game? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I kind of deal with it on 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 moment, and I deal with it some on the song "Demon," um, especially on, on "Demon" uh, the the bridge on it. It says, um, "I feel it when I wake up, like I just exposed a nerve, so like hypersensitive. Right. I cannot shake this feeling. I can't shake the feeling that I left a single stone unturned." I'm constantly having anxiety about the butterfly effect of everything that I've ever done. And you start thinking about, hey, there's that one little thing that I could have did or I, I, that one little thing that I did that I shouldn't have done that just changed everything. So, you know, that will literally drive you insane. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it, it gets to a point where you kind of have to let that go and and not and not harp on things because at the end of the day, the only person keeping track of this shit is you. You know, and once you start carrying all these things with you, it really bogs you down. And it's important to kind of like try to get outside of your head and just let things fall where they may, because there's only so much control you have as a, as a person. Right. You know, exactly. And if you want, yeah, if you want, especially as a creative, you know, you just got to make your shit move forward. If 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 you start a ripple effect, then you know you you can deal with it later. But there's you can't undo the ripple. Right. And. You know, you look at Demon, man, you really did, you know, like anxiety, you know, just the way you addressed it, you know, felt very complete. But, you know, the the, the idea of anxiety pops up throughout Polymer. Um, you know, how important was it, man, for you to address that and like just get it out there, not just for yourself, but for other people, you know, listening as well um, to, to talk about your anxiety and, and, and address it in a really... Um, you know, I thought insightful way. Thank you. Um, well, I, you know, it was in 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 making the record Demon, the Demon EP as a whole. It dealt with you know the 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 anxiety and stress factor and um, th that I have in my life, which is a huge controlling factor for me. You know, um, having panic attacks about things and just essentially being a victim of my own ambition where you know having to hide clocks when i work and hide my task bar and make sure that there's no 
indication of how much of my life is wasting away as I'm working on these things, you know? And so that, you know, confronting that and, and realizing um, that I, I need to basically, like I say in a moment, hold on to this moment because I'm never going to get it back. You know what I mean? Right. Like really, really, really sink into the time that you put into things and really think about, you know, the, 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 how, how you want to spend your time. Do you want to spend it sitting in a job that you hate or do you, would you rather spend it doing something that you enjoy, you know, um, doing something worthwhile that's worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, you know, it, 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 every song on this record is me coming to terms with something. And the anxiety was the reason why I felt the need to address um, each of these things on this record. You know, whether it was my my me stressing out about time and, and the time I was spending, or uh, you know, thinking about growing older and becoming more like you know my father, or you know, anxiety over my sex addiction, like all of these things. Every single song. You know, there's a root of anxiety in there that I that I had to confront and deal with through the work. So, you know, it, it really is, you know, catharsis 101 when you when you really look at it. And you know, you, you've you've been open in the past, man. I feel like in your music, but never this open. Um, did you feel like you're kind of breaking a wall down between you and your music with this project? Um, just with with how personal you got oh a hundred percent a hundred percent and and part of it um i actually touch on a lot of this in the documentary um but essentially you know i i felt as my i felt that my voice was very disconnected from from me as a person and so making this record and the documentary is a way of sort of opening the door for the first time in my career on my personal life in order for the people that that do listen to me to have more insight um into why i do the work that i do or why or, or what the songs mean you know um my music is very much my life i don't write about stuff that i don't do or stuff that i haven't been through um to me that's the singer songwriter approach you know it's to to, to write the truth and you know i i I was very much secretive about a lot of things. That, that's the, the, the part of the irony of my early buzz was that I was very secretive about myself. And, you know, it's, it's really easy to portray the super rapper persona when nobody knows anything about you. And so I would make it a point to never really talk about my upbringing or, you know, personal problems. You know, Tone Def had it all figured out. He's the super rapper. He's the man. You know what I mean? Right. So... And, and that actually, it works in your favor if you can pull it off, but you come to a point in your life where you, you have to deal with your own life, you know? And, and, and to me, the super rapper persona is, it, you know, it's a hoax and it's, it's a facade that people portray in order for, you know, lesser types, quote unquote, to, <laughs> to follow along and, and feel like, you know, they're, they're in service of it. It's a, it's it's an it's an ideal, you know. Yeah. And um and I don't I don't ascribe to the super rapper thing anymore. I mean, 
you know, I, I, I will write, write raps to rap just on some fun shit and just, you know, talk, talk about my prowess or whatever the fuck. And that's fun to do, but I don't really get off on it like I used to. <laughs> I'd rather talk about real things now, you know? Writing truth is way harder than writing a punchline. I bet. Yeah, like, and I mean, you show you still got the technical side. I mean, you look at a song like Hunters, man, you know, does does the mm-hmm. tech, does just that technical skill, man, is that something you have to, like, practice and, and continue, like, working on it? Or, like, is that like a bike, man, and once you got it, you can go in the studio and you're fine? <laughs> I think, um... I think once you hit a certain point, yeah. I mean, it might be like a bicycle at a certain point. I mean, for me, I could. I feel like it, I could. I could always get better, and I definitely push myself on this record to go to certain places. Like, I've never done anything like Demon before, you know. Um, I've never done anything like on the on the uh, on the EPs like Crispy 192, where I push myself to rap, you know, 14.1 syllables in a second. You know what I mean? And these these were things where it wasn't just I wasn't doing them just to do them. I was doing them to test how far I could push myself, you know? So in terms of the technical aspect, I, I feel like I'm always going to be learning and I'm always going to be pushing myself. Um, and to me, that's, that's that, that along with production, like those are those OCD things that I just kind of kick in where I can't just write a rap. I have to make like 17 internal rhyme schemes and shit and like make it make sense and have it be deep. Like the, the challenge in that is the, the, the hard part um, but the mo- one of the most rewarding things is accomplishing technical goals for yourself. So, like at this point in my career, I've, I've you know I'm, I'm constantly pushing myself, and there's not a whole lot of guys that can do what I can do, um, if that. So, you know, I I I can I can kind of like fuck around and just do something for fun, and I kind of second nature a lot of the rhyme scheme shit at this point this point because it's just part of my style, yeah. you know. Um, but I'm. I'm never ever resting on my laurels. No, which means you're gonna keep getting better and keep growing, man. You know. Um, I hope so. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> and you look at a song like Hunters, man. You know, I I, I love the fact you address the press, man. Um, mm. You know, you talk about how you know it's the kiss of death being friends with journalists and how that's just a terrible idea, man. You know, what's been your relationship, <laughs> you know, um, with the press and. Um, you know, I know they didn't always pay as much attention as they could have or should have to mm-hmm. the Q and Five releases. Um, or, yeah. Or you as an artist, you know. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. Um, <laughs> I feel like I, I I think I was pretty concise with how I felt about the press in uh, in Hunter. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. You know, it's 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 essentially the the less you can interact with the press, the the more praise a lot on you. You know what I mean? Uh, they'll just heap it all on you. You know, the, the more that they know, it, it's this it's this weird, you know, fami- familiarity, contempt ratio where it's like they're sick of talking to you or sick of hearing your shit. And <laughs> they just don't want to, they don't want to get down. But, you know, in, in a lot of ways, what I realized over the years was a, a lot of these, a lot of these people, you know, they, they're, what, what you realize over time, and this is something you don't really know as a young artist coming up, is, you know, these writers are, are essentially doing a job. You know, they may have wanted to be writers in a, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a fiction writer, write novels. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in some way, somehow, they ended up being writers about this music that you're involved in. And 
granted, they don't make music, so they, they're never ever going to have the full understanding of what it is to make an album. So they can, it's really easy to, to shit on a record or, or be snarky or be funny. But they're just, all they're doing is A, doing their job and B, trying to make it interesting for themselves and then, you know, what's in it for them, you know? So, uh, so like, in order for them to do their job, they need to write and review shit that everybody else is talking about in order to get clicks, in order for them to keep their jobs. So being ignored to me is a byproduct of that. I'm not a name that is going to put clicks in the bank for them, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I've grown to understand that, but it is also kind of shit because their job technically is to, you know, to, 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 to talk about music and review music as unbiased as possible and sometimes break new artists and reveal music to people that are listening or looking to them for guidance, especially, you know, music reviewers, you know, a lot of them are just there to be seen less. And, and a lot of them write about things just to throw their name in the mix on a big release when they're not really giving anything, any, you know, any, any due diligence, anything else, any due diligence. And I feel like that is a huge, a huge slap in the face to, you know, the artists that they portray themselves as being in service to, you know, mm -hmm. um, and so I see a lot of star fucking, you know, I, I see a whole lot of dick riding and to me it's a tad whorish you know it's you're essentially playing the numbers in order to keep the paycheck and to keep working but why are you writing about music then if, <laughs> if you really care if you really cared about it wouldn't you shouldn't you be exposing people to good music or writing about the things that you you really enjoy you know or stuff that is obscure that nobody else has heard like make it a point to do that guys like John Pirellis um, at the New York Times has, he's been around forever I mean this you know he's one of the first guys to write about Madonna like this guy's been around forever and you know he he took time out to write about me in the New York Times you know because he caught my set at Lollapalooza and he wrote a, an amazing two, uh, you know paragraph and a half about me you know, he didn't have to do that, but he was impressed by what I did, and he and he put my name out there, and I will forever respect him for that. Meanwhile, there's Johnny Goldblogger, who's just trying to, you know, do his first thoughts review on some record that dropped a day before, calling it a classic overnight because everybody's on it, you know, everybody's on that wave. Like, and 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 that Johnny Goldblogger won't review my shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's not quote unquote relevant to him, like. That to me is complete bullshit and star fucking. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's uh, at this point, I my relationship with the press is pretty much non-existent, and I have no real interest because reviews don't really mean anything anymore. So that's kind of ironic. Um. So yeah, I guess I'll just end it there. You know what, what kills me too, man? I mean, you look at. Um 
so many blogs and they're, they're posting, you know, 20 to 30 posts a day. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's really just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what's going to stick. Um, oh, there's there's absolutely no way with the amount of content coming out that they can cover all that shit. There's just no way, you know. Or or that they listen yeah. to everything before they post it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, the other the other piece of that too um, is what I find in hip hop that I don't see anywhere else, and I'm talking in terms of the media and journalism, is there's a real fear of saying anything negative about any artist you know you look at any song that gets posted it's always new banger this is this is fire mm-hmm. it's, it's never anything that's like we're not going to post this <laughs> so-and-so song man because this is whack like it's never right there's never anything like that every song is is amazing you know and if you're if you're in with the blog everything you do is going to get covered and everything's going to be amazing there's really what I find like just no honest opinion. It's it's almost like a fear of being, you know, honest because you know nobody can like everything that's coming out now, man. But you would never know it if you read the popular blogs and websites. Yeah, uh, taking an editorial stance on anything, anything. Um, that yeah it, it is is problematic statistically because they don't want to lose money. That's that's what it boils down to. That's that's the reason why you see so many. Um, you know, music review sites and stuff, just kind of like creating an environment where everything is great. You know, thumbs up, this is awesome, watch this thing, because if all this stuff's getting filtered through social media, so if they're posting a link to an article, they can't just be like, here, listen to some meh song that we fucking found. <laughs> it has to be, you know, uh, so-and-so made an incredible video about blah, blah, blah. You won't believe what happened next. Like, everything is essentially clickbait, and sensationalism is the name of that game. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it all boils down to click-throughs, man. Well, if, if, if you and Pac-FM, man, ever have a beef, you know, I'm going to be, like, hiding outside with my cameraman, hoping to get, like, a shot, you know, like, paparazzi style. <laughs> you won't believe what happened next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep that in mind and watch the Twitter feeds. Just, you know, if I see any tension developing, man, I'm going to be there with, with a camera in tow. Word. <laughs> you know, um... You also, you know, Glutton was a really deep song for you, man. Um, you know, with, 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 you know, a lot of obvious symbolism there. Um, and, you know, you talk about, you know, sex addiction, um, which oftentimes I feel, you know, just in general gets treated, you know, not, not with a serious of nature as it, as it needs to be or deserves to be. Right. You know, what was that like for you, man? Like... Like doing a song like what and putting it out there. Yeah, I mean, in general, people like to fuck, right? History's <laughs> proven that. History has proven that people like to fuck. And sex is, is along with eating and sleeping, you know, those are core functions of just existing as, as a normal human being. You know, unless you're asexual, then you're a fucking weirdo, right? So, you know, those nobody thinks about those things as problems until it gets out of hand. I think you could see somebody, you know, if, if there was a, a, a visual manifestation of sex addiction, I feel like people would take it more, take it more seriously. Because, you know, if you have a problem with one of these things, food, you can see that. 
oh, you're not getting enough food or, oh, you're eating way too much fucking food. Then Pete's society goes, this is a problem. If you don't sleep enough, oh man, you're gonna get into a fucking car wreck. I can see bags under your eyes. These are physical manifestations of things that people can tell. You get sluggish, you can't think, you're falling over, your eyes are closing on you. These are things you can't help. Sex addiction, you can't really tell. It's just something that goes on in your head. You know what I mean? And I think there's, that's the reason why people think it's a joke. It's because to people, it's just like, ah, oh, sex, I love sex, and more sex. But they, those people have a normal relationship with sex. When you're a sex addict, you're essentially looking for your next high at all times, you know? And no matter what you do, it's never enough. So you're essentially, you know, a, a serotonin addict where you're looking for all these endorphins to get released in your brain. And the more you do, the more numb you become to it, just like it was heroin or coke. Because they've proven scientifically that the same chemicals get released in your head when you're turned on or when you are, you know, you experience orgasm and blah, 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 blah. Like chemically the same functions happen in, uh, as, as, as any other addict. If you're a Coke addict or a, a, you know, a meth addict, like those same chemicals are released. And some people are just predisposed to those imbalances. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people, you know, um, I'm prone to be excessive when I, when I get stuck on things and um, riding glutton, you know, was, it was a way to sort of deal with that. I, I really wanted the glutton EP in general to impart to people what that experience is like. And I felt like that was a good metaphor um, to kind of impart to people what the experience of never, never being satiated was like. Um, and and also kind of giving like the drop in the middle of the song, um, you know, some, some narrative meaning. Because normally drops, they're just there to sound cool, but this, this drop really meant something, you know? Right. Um, so, so yeah, I, I thought it was really, really important to kind of like give it some, give it some po poetic, you know, weight um, and, and insight as, as much as I could provide through that metaphor. Um, of just being on the hunt constantly for the next piece of pussy or the next tie um, and, and, and and what that's like. Definitely. And, I mean, how did you deal with that, man? Like, how did you, you know, how did, how did, you, how did you work through that? And how did you, you know, what, what, what happened? Uh, I mean, essentially, I hit rock bottom. I ended up just doing a whole bunch of stupid shit to the point where, you know, I was afraid for my own health and also uh, uh, just couldn't really look at myself in the mirror anymore. I just felt like a junkie, you know? It's it, where, where, when it starts to take over every facet of your life to the point where you can't get anything else done, um, that's a problem. That's when you know you have an addiction problem. <laughs> so I ended up, I ended up um, you know, in therapy for over a year and a half. Um, after, after I separated from my, my ex-wife and through my divorce um, and uh, just sort of being forced to confront myself and figuring out what my triggers were. Um, you know, I probably should never drink alone at a bar <laughs> because I will probably act out. And uh, when I'm extremely stressed out, um, which I am often, um, it's really good to kind of keep myself out of harm's way 
and try not to, you know, uh, try not to, to, to do shit that's going to end up with me, you know, fucking some stranger somewhere, you know, like it just, um, figuring out what those, what those pain points were and what those trigger points were and, and, and kind of dealing with them and also kind of acknowledging the weakness really, I mean, that's the first step, you know, and, and once you acknowledge that weakness, it really helps you to sort of stabilize this, you know, um, I'm in a, I'm in a nice, I'm in a good relationship now and, you know, I don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm just doing my best to, to be, uh, to, to really kind of acknowledge all those, those weaknesses and, 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 um, and, and treat this, this whole, my whole life with kid gloves, basically, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just one of those things I just got to have to deal with. Definitely. And how do you deal with Work, working through, work, working through the record was definitely putting the record together was definitely a huge instrument. It was very instrumental in me kind of figuring out how to approach the rest of how I was going to live after this. That's great. You know, cause, cause you always hear about how music is supposed to be cathartic and the creative process and creating art, but to actually hear stories about that is, is reassuring. Mm. But so how does tone deaf deal with stress today? Man? I breathe more. I, I, I let go, you know, um, case in point with this documentary. Um, I was so stressed out after I released the album about getting this thing out and shipped. And, you know, I know people have, you know, there was a lot of support pre-orders that made the entire project possible for, that allowed me to even make music videos and this documentary, you know, but I wanted to get it out as soon as possible. And, um, I injured, I, I, I suffered an injury, um, actually three injuries in one, all on the same night. <laughs> I like tore my hip tendon, I fucking, uh, I pulled a groin muscle and, and, and uh, uh, pinched the nerve in my, my L5 vertebrae. Jeez. And I couldn't sit up, couldn't sit up for, you know, almost two months and, and work on anything. Like I was basically on, on my back. And uh, I mean, that threw a massive monkey wrench into my plans to get everything finished and released uh, and pressed up, you know? So the last thing I needed in my life was to have this pushed into 2017, which it is now. So now that I'm healthier, I'm working on it, but there comes that point where you're just like, you just throw your fucking hands up at the universe and you're just like, you know what? This is just what it is. And I'm just gonna have to wait and just try to make the best use of my time how I can and heal up. And I'll get to it when I get to it, you know? Um, because I do realize that I'm only one person and that's something that I didn't really realize before. You know, I, I, I've always been the person to kind of take on these epic gargantuan tasks. Um, but I'm at the point now where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to finish it. And, you know, you look if you look at the scope of this entire polymer project, I mean, there are so many moving pieces. There's an art book. There's a fucking documentary. <laughs> there's a full album. I mean, the album itself is a gigantic accomplishment. You know, the, there's... Uh, um, there's remixes, you know, there's, there's, there's merch, there's stickers, there's all this shit has to be designed. All of the, you know, all of this stuff is all done by me alone. And so, you know, I've learned to sort of let the chips fall where they may, you know, I've had a couple people here and there that, you know, that, that, you know, you deal with the customer service stuff and you, you appease them and you let them know. But I've found that as long as I've kept people updated everybody's cool because they know that it's such a fucking huge undertaking you know and people that follow my work they follow it closely enough where they know that i'm busting my ass over here trying to get it done 
um, and they know that it'll be worth it when it's done, you know? So I just kind of throw up my hands and breathe and just kind of let the moment, <laughs> let the moment live and take things little by little, one day at a time. Definitely. That, that, that's a great outlook, man. And you know, how important is it, man? You know, because when you're at QN5, you did a lot of that stuff on your own um, to keep that creative control and to keep hands on, man. I mean, do you, do you ever want to delegate more, man, or do you enjoy keeping everything, like, even if it even if it's more work and more stress to get this stuff done, like, to do it yourself instead? I, I would love to delegate more. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to delegate more now with the Quintic label. Um, it's just, you know, I, I, I'm just one of those people that I, I need things to be at a certain level of, at a certain level. You know, they like I, I like to be, you know, beautiful and artful or well done. Like I, where I can tell that there's thought and creativity in something and it's not half-assed. And I found over the years a lot is when, when you work with people that aren't necessarily enthusiastic or not, they're not trying to prove something to you that they will normally give you really half-assed stuff and then treat it like they're doing you a favor. So I end up doing a lot of this stuff um myself and um you know with the with the new label i know that i can't do everything myself um because it eventually you eventually just break the fuck down trying to do it all and so i bought in a lot of outside producers for stuff this is all stuff i nor normally wouldn't do normally i would try to produce the entire thing and then you know call in like a pitch hitter here and there but for these for these projects um like lucy camp's project i mean there's a there's a whole wealth of different producers on it you know what i mean um, uh, so I'm just sort of trying to allow people that are excited about what I'm doing now to kind of come out of the woodworks and cause I know that they'll try harder <laughs> versus me just paying some dude to do something, paying some artist to do something. But, you know, I, I feel like the people that come to me are way more into making something quality. Um, so I'm trying to delegate. Yeah, I can, I can see that being a challenge too. You know, you also, you look at a song like Five Sisters where you, where you really talk about your family dynamics. You look at a song like More Like You where you, uh, you know, talk about, you know, your father, um, abuse you dealt with, the fear of turning into him, looking like him, being him. You know, when you make songs like that, you know, do you look at songs that have already been done in terms of that and, you know, say like you know how can i come at this from a different angle um like is that ever in your mind of like what's been done before and how can i do this the way that like i haven't heard it done um or do you just do it the way that you know this is this is the way that i need to tell it um and if it comes out like something else so be it but this is this is me like how do, how do you approach that um yeah i i do think a lot about the structure uh i think a lot about the the device that i'm going to use um to deliver the song because I mean that's that's part of the the whole innovating thing for me um, if I've heard somebody do something before I'm literally the first guy in the room to be, to go oh so-and-so did that in 94 <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 like all my friends hate me because of that you know because I will just totally I'm the guy that makes brainstorm sessions a gigantic pain in the ass because I have a very long memory and I don't want to do anything that's been done before you know and it's really really 
really, really fucking hard to come up with stuff that nobody's done before. You know? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, like... And, 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 but the, the, the good thing is that in the hip-hop space, people are still kind of caught up with, like, riding waves that they kind of do the same shit over and over again, so it's not as hard in hip-hop as it would be, say, in jazz, where everything has been done at this point possible, you know? Um, so, like, there's still things I can do device-wise to, 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 to deliver something. On Five Sisters, I used you know, uh, five splintered experiences to create uh, a, a basic, a basically a, a a mirrored experience of my mother. So they all interact in a way. I'm, I'm essentially telling my mother's life story through the lives of my sister because it was a pattern that they all repeated doing her shit. But it, I'm also explaining my sister's life. So that was difficult. Um, in terms of, in terms of um, more like you, I mean, I'd never really kind of heard anybody come to terms with their parenting on a record. It's usually stuff that's like, you know, finger pointing or fuck you or or I love you. You know, there's never there's never a whole lot of um, resolution uh, that happens within the song. It's usually a point of view that's already been made in, the, in a lot of these songs. So I thought it was really, really important to try to make a song, especially about my father. I, you know, there's not a whole lot of father songs in hip hop. Um, so that's why I dedicated a, an obvious song to my father on this record versus uh, my, for mother. There's so many mother songs in hip hop, but never done like this, you know? So. <clears throat> Um, I'm constantly looking for ways to, you know, to, to flip it up and do something new. Um, and, th and that takes time, obviously. So, You know, and you, if you go back to the Q and 5 days, you know, especially like you look at E-Fam or you look at, you know, just a lot of like the freestyles and some of those, you know, tracks that you guys threw out there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you guys did a lot of rapping about rapping and a lot of like, you know, talking about the industry and fake rappers and you know yeah. being the nicest rapper and <laughs> yeah it, you know and 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 i loved it man like i have not complained in one bit because i love that music and, <laughs> and i love listening to rap about rap like um, yeah you know i think that's i think that's you know that's i just love it man but yeah i, was I mean that's the basics you know that's that that's where you start everybody everybody does that because they that's that's the literally the basis of the music like that's where it begins you know the core exactly. you know exactly the competitive nature yeah. and yeah Mm -hmm. um, and I was talking to Session a while ago, and he was like, you know what, man? I realized we just did too much of that. Um, do you feel that way, man? Like, do you feel like you did, like, there was too much of, of, of coming at it from that angle, man? Because, um, you know, I can see where Session is coming from, but that doesn't mean I agree with it. He, he you know, but Session's perspective, is only it only goes up to a certain point, you know? Like, he wasn't really involved with you know the, the latter half of the q and five stuff you know you can't tell me that a piece of strange <laughs> right exactly is, is, is that you know what i mean like you, you can't tell me you can't tell me that that uh that kokai's uh album <clears throat> robots and dinosaurs is about that you know that's that's more dealing with like aging and love and shit like that like it's yeah. not you, you know the, the later records weren't that at all you know so 
you know, I, 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 we, because we were so young when we were doing what we were doing and kind of like trying to essentially compete on that, that, that level. I mean, we were all battle rappers coming out of the underground. I mean, that's what we knew and that's what we did. But as we evolved and changed, you know, we didn't do that anymore. And like, you'd be hard pressed to find any of that on any of this shit since like 2006. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I, I think the last time I rapped about rapping was like, shit, uh, maybe one song or two songs here and there over the years, you know? Uh, in the past couple of years, it's usually, there's usually like a topic now, you know, um, this is, I mean, like how many more times do I need to brag about my dick or how I fucked your girlfriend? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's not that important, bro. <laughs> you know, but, um, and, and again, I'm not talking down on it. I'm just not necessarily generally interested, interested in it as much. Yeah. And, um, but I, but, but that's the thing. I feel like as artists get a chance to make music for as long as maybe I have, um, you if you're worth your salt, you will get bored of saying the talking about the same shit. You know, if you are a real artist and you're really looking to express yourself, I, I, I think I think that it's just a given that you'll naturally evolve over time. And so if you're coming into the gang game and you know you're fucking you're a teenager and you're just learning how to rap, I mean, you're probably gonna do that for another ten years. But after that, if you're still content with doing that, then you're you're just an idiot. And if you're a grown man and you're still rapping about that same shit you were rapping about when you were a teenager, you are in a state of arrested development and need to get married soon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Well said, man. Well said. You know, um, so so looking looking at just you as an artist, man. You know, what is your writing process like, man? You know, and how intricate does that get when you're putting music together um it it is a fucking nightmare <laughs> it's my least favorite thing to do when i make music my my favorite thing to do when i make music is is, is produce a song um i love i love coming up with the layers and the harmonies and the melodies and all that stuff i love the final product but man writing to me is it's so tedious because like I said I, I don't want to repeat myself and I, I don't want to say anything that anybody else has said I, I, I and I'm looking to be truthful and I'm looking to push myself technically further so it's like every time I write a song I mean I, it's just one less thing that I can say and one less thing that I can do because I've done it before you know right. and so it becomes it becomes hard it becomes like a, a it, it becomes a, a challenge every song becomes an insurmountable wall i mean people people mention you know talk about how i don't have many songs out or I, this is only my second album in, in 11 years not that i've been writing it that long but it just takes a really long time to kind of come up with something new and good that i feel proud of you know um i'm sure i could shit out some verses and just kind of fuck around and just rap about rap and, and just kind of do what everybody else is doing like a lot of people do and and just do it to keep my material out there and my name popping so I can make money but I'm not really concerned with that <laughs> at all um and so I'll get to a point where you know writing especially a song like Control or more like you where I'm dealing with these like super heavy personal topics like you know abuse or, or you know my divorce and things like that and it's like 
not only am I trying to fucking like get to the core of myself as a, as a person, but I'm also doing a fucking 12 to 15 syllable rhyme scheme per line and trying to make that make sense. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to make that, you know, a 54 bar verse and it's all going to rhyme every line for 12 syllables. <laughs> and, and I'm going to get, you know what I mean? Like it, it just, it gets to a point where it's like, fuck bro. Like this is hard. This is really hard to do. Um, so the process is always slow and it's agonizing. But when I'm done with it, it is a, such a sense of accomplishment and pride. I'm super, super proud of the things that I write. I stand behind everything that I write. Um, because it means something to me. And it wasn't just done just to do it. It was done because that came out of my fucking core. You know? Yeah. 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 So how do you know when you're done? Like, how do you know when when you have that song that you can stand by that you know, like, this is this is it? it it's like falling in love. You just know it when you know it. <laughs> it just, that it hits you. You you'll know when you've gotten to the point, or you've made you you know when you've made the point that you want to make, and you've hit all of the fucking the bullet points that you wanted to address on a record. You know, um, I, I I sometimes I will do that. I'll, I'll make bullet points uh, about what where, the things that I wanted to touch on in a certain verse or a certain song, and I make sure that I hit all those things. That I'm not done with the song and be like. Oh, fuck. I, I should have said that. Like, essentially, my goal is to write about a subject with so much depth that I never, ever have to write about that subject again. Nice. Hey, do you ever worry about running out of subject and, and, and material? No, I don't. Um, because Simply because, you know, we... <laughs> as long as you're alive, you should have something to write about because there's always something new happening. You know, there's some 90 year old dude right now just discovering Wi-Fi and he's a songwriter. He's like, fuck, I need to write a song about Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi is amazing. Dude, I, I, cannot, I cannot wait to like and repost that on my SoundCloud, man. Word. <laughs> That's going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Man, so, you know, when you look at, um, at, at where you are today, man, you know, um, as far as technical rappers go, man, do you feel like there's anybody that could, you know, that could outspit you, man, in, in terms of just being, you know, um, pound for pound, you know, best technical rapper out there? I mean, there's there, there's literally no response I can give without sounding cocky <laughs> to that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I know where I am as 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 a writer and as a as a rapper i don't hear too many guys out there that do what i do period and there's even fewer guys that can do it to the level that i do it um and when you start checking off the boxes of of uh when you start checking off the the qualifiers like rhyme schemes or punchlines or speed or depth or flow, or voice, <laughs> or stage performance, or ability to sing on top of that, or produce, or 
etc., etc., etc. That list gets pretty fucking short. Um. So while I'm not concerned with being the best rapper, um, for other people, I'm more concerned with pushing myself to a limit that I've never experienced before. I think that at the end of the day, being a competitive person, it boils down to competition with yourself. And I need to be okay with that. And I'm good with that now. If you asked me 10 years, I would have 10 years ago, this question, I would have said, fuck yes, come get it. Now, I don't give a fuck if you know how to rap good. Now, I give a fuck if you can connect with me as, a, as an artist and make something that I actually like. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. I guess is, that's my answer. Is it hard to get you to like music, man? You know, after all the music you've heard, the music you've done, and the high standards you have for yourself as an artist, is it hard to, to hear music, um, like... And appreciate it now like just because of how much music you've experienced in your life yeah yeah it's like you know what it's because everything's cyclical and you know styles and trends come back around like right now there's a huge you know 90s trend coming back like especially in like r&b music yeah there's so much art there's so much r&b i'm hearing right now that literally sounds like some new jack swing shit or like some mary j blige and and i'm like I've heard this already, so it's uh, my first inclination because of how I look at things is like, oh, that shit's been done already. That shit's biting, you know? So, you know, I have to kind of like check myself sometimes and just be like, okay, well, it's just a stylistic device to deliver a thing, and at least it doesn't sound like all the other shit that's out there. But eventually that will become the norm, you know? And then, then it'll just sink in its own mediocrity. But like... I love the feeling of getting goosebumps from a song that I've never heard before. And it just, it touches me in a way that I get that high from music. Like the only thing I'm, that I truly, truly love in this world is music. You know, like, it's like, it's, it's the number one thing that touches me and affects me in a way that nothing else does. So like, when I hear those new things, it's like the fucking sky opens up and like I get that rush of endorphins, you know what I'm saying? So I still hear it. I still hear things that blow me away, but there's, it's, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a common thing. And, you know, as you expand, man, and, you know, you, um, you, you just continue growing as an artist, you know, you're working with Fier and um, Lucy Camp, man, you know, um, artists that are definitely outside of the realm of the music you're really known for just as a hip-hop artist but what's it been like for you man, with Quintic and bringing in new artists outside of the hip-hop genre it's been incredible um, and it's been a huge learning experience for me you know um, it's actually made me a better producer and it's made me um, op it's, it's opened up my mind to a lot of stuff that I never really thought I've listened to like even with my ear being opened over the years to different genres of music like when I work with Fierre for example like he's very much into R&B and, and, and things like that that I used to fucking hate <laughs> you know what I mean like absolute you know abhorrence as a fucking as a, as a, as a kid and a teenager I used to hate his music so much 
Um, and you know, she's put me on to stuff, and like now I'm a lot more open to like an Ariana Grande. Whereas if she didn't exist in my life, I would never listen to Ariana Grande. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, cause, yeah, because all that stuff, I mean, because it, it, it colors her work. You know, she's she's an electoral soul artist, so she's making she's she's making you know this like really sort of spatial, you know, uh, now at this point like glitchy electro pop with a, with a soul vocal. You know what I mean? Like she still sings it like an R and B chick would sing it, but it's still electronic music. You feel me? So like th- that that stuff colors her work. So by proxy, I'm learning through her as she's developing her work because she's a producer. You feel me? So I'm learning a lot just working with her and then working with Lucy Camp. The beauty of working with somebody who's 19 years old is that they're not carrying all that golden age hip hop baggage and bullshit. She can just create and not have all that shit in the back of her head like, yo, shit ain't real, son. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she's writing from a space of complete self, and it, it, her work is so fucking great. Because she's an old soul, you know, she's writing these really in-depth poems, basically, about, like, the Latina teenage experience growing up in America. Like, and, like, all the things that that entails, the fuckery, the, 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 the heartbreaks, the, 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 the fucking infidelities and the marriage of their parents, and you know what I mean? Like, all that shit. Like it just makes for it just makes for an incredible cocktail of, of interesting topics that don't get talked about and that aren't aren't in this music. So for me, it's a pleasure to be able to kind of put on my producer hat and my my um, creative director hat and and help her get to a place where her work is as big and epic and as present as possible and presented in a way that connects with people. You know, and so far I feel like we're doing a great job, and I'm really excited about the label. That's awesome. So what are the big plans now? Like. As far as releasing music, um, and when you're going to put some of these projects out, you know, on a big scale. Uh, well, this year, this year's a big one, man. We have um, we have another uh, Lucy Camp's new EP is dropping in the next couple of months. Um, we already, uh, I was just out in San Francisco. We just shot the first video for the the first single off of it. Um, so in the next few months, you're going to see a new Lucy Camp EP. Some more videos from the Quintic artist uh, Fierre. Already this this year alone, she's had she's been selected for two different um, Spotify playlists, um, editorial playlists, which is like huge. Um, she had uh, we, uh, the Weekly Buzz playlist, which is like mainstream artists and shit like that. And she was also selected for H and M's in store playlist. Um, so just really really good looks right now. Um, and she's working. She's been working on her album. Uh, for the past uh, year and a half, or uh, a little bit more than that, I think. And um, the record, her album, sounds fucking tremendous, and I'm super duper excited to drop that later in the year. And um, for myself, as Peter Anthony Red, which is sort of my singer singer alias on Quintic, um, for the Peter Anthony Red stuff, I, I have a couple singles planned for the year, so I can get the the ball rolling on my 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 output as as an artist as well. You was gonna ask you about so Peter Anthony. Again? Sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's okay. You know, uh, so Peter Anthony Redman, I wanted to ask you about that. Um, y- you know, and if you plan to do more, so it, it sounds like you are, man. You know, how does your perspective change, man, when you're you're going from tone deaf to Peter Anthony Red, um, and, and we see a different side of you, man, in, in terms of you singing and, and just just a different vibe in general. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, like the like the tone deaf, like when I when when I approach the tone deaf stuff, you know, I'm always looking to sort of break genre or break convention or or, or, or break narrative in a way that hasn't been done in hip-hop you know like i'm always looking to break music in some way when i'm, I'm working as tone deaf with peter anthony red and really the whole quintic label it's more about feel you know it's it's less intellectual and more about feel and you know the the slogan i'm running with for quintic is feel based you know which could work as you know feel based but <laughs> it's a uh, feel based music and um for Peter Anthony Red, it's it's really about just kind of establishing a vibe and and kind of working with that. And it's it's been fun so far. I've made a couple things that I'm really really excited about. I'm still touching on you know some personal things here and there, but I'm not married to it. You know, um, I'm I'm more just I'm more just trying to convey an emotion and in a way that you can only do with, with singing. Definitely, yeah. It's cool, man. It's cool to see you expand in that field, man. Um, you know, so, you know, EFAM is still one of my favorite projects, man. Any chance that would ever see you guys get back together? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> we're, working, we're working on another album. Um, just just for, for, for kicks. Um, we, we have all the beats. We're just writing it now. We already have a song recorded. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can... Um, record some more stuff this year. I don't know if it'll happen this year, but it would be awesome. Because we, we, we recorded Happy Fuck You songs in, I think the whole thing, top to bottom, took four months tops. Um, so I don't see why we can't do the same, especially with me being done with, with Polymer. You know, um, it would kind of be a nice diversion. Because, you know, when you write a bunch of deep, depressing shit, it's nice to kind of fuck around and do some raps about raps. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I need some new. I need some new raps about raps myself, man. So like, that's, that's word. That, like, rap, I, I, I need you guys to do. Rapidity rap for the win. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely some plans to come back and do a, a second EFAM album. And and is that the original crew and tack pack stand in session? Uh, no session this time around. But um, I'm hoping that I can convince him to, to drop in. Uh, and do at least one joint with us. That would be awesome. Otherwise, yeah. it's just me packing fed. Yeah, man, I love Session, man. I hope he, I hope he doesn't feel too rusty and like scared to to get back in the booth after such a long time, man. You know that 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 really wouldn't be good, man. You know, Session. I, I hope. Yeah, no, I feel you. I hope you're good, Session. Yeah, <laughs> word. You know, he um he he uh from time to time he'll occasionally like every I feel like every six or seven months I'll get like an email with a voice memo from session it'll be like to the whole play crew and it'll be just like yo just fucking around and it'll just be like him rhyming his ass off as a voice memo to some beat that's so awesome. he's still you know he's still still doing his thing man he's just you know he's just not out there you know trying to be a fucking struggle rapper <laughs> you know what too man like I, I was um i was listening to some old session man um on spotify uh don't mm-hmm. do it um the mc oh fuck do, yeah like man like like I just, he's a beast. 
yo, man, he's crazy. Like, like, and that's yeah. why I, that's why I call him out, man. Like, I love Session as an MC, man. Like, I know he's doing his thing. I know he's got the FaceTime model agency going really well for him right now, and I'm, I'm super happy mm-hmm. that that's going well for him, man. But I, 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 yeah. I sincerely miss that dude on the mic. Just like his punchlines, man. Like, like they're funny uh, and witty at the same so time. So good. Like, they're not, they're not corny. So good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, funny enough, Session was one of the first dudes that really pushed me to get my my my, my pattern game up, man. Like, like I mean, when we, like I met him when he was seventeen, man. Like, he, <laughs> and already at seventeen, he was like a fucking beast. And I just remember there was this one time where he spit, I think it was the third verse from Murder in the First Degree from the EFAM record. This is like way before he was even in the group, you know. And he and he 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 spit it in the apartment, and I just remember going, "Fuck, that's dirty!" Like he was doing whole sentences that would rhyme. And I was like, oh, shit, like, I need to start doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he's a beast-ass rapper. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that he can he can bless us with some shit for the new E-Fam record. That'd be great. At, at least get some of his models in your videos, right? Oh, no, I mean, he will definitely have the hookup on the booth. Because <laughs> I, <always put> <laughs> I always put E-Fam and video models together anyway, man. It just seemed like such a natural fit. <laughs> <laughs> Word. You know, so... Um, you know, you knew this question was coming, man. Um, and I, I don't think it, I could do a tone deaf interview, man, without asking this, man, without being crucified by your fans. Um, so, so don't kill me for this, man. Um, but I got to right, do right. it. So I'm gonna hang up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hanging up right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I won't even ask the question, man. I'll just leave a, leave a, leave a silence, man. And if and if you want to answer what you think I'm gonna ask, man, um, we could we could play it that way. Okay. Um. It'll be done when it's done. <laughs> there you have it. Stop asking. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, I didn't ask. I told you know I, I, I could I could have, but I didn't. You you could have, and I appreciate that. Thank you for for exercising some restraint. You got it, man. You know my journalistic yep. integrity, man, has to stay intact, man. There's there's a few of us left, man. <laughs> Work. So man, you know. Yeah, man. You, you've got a lot of great projects, man, um, in the works, man. Really excited for the documentary, man. Love Polymer, man. It's it's one of those albums that I love because the more I listen to it and the more I really dissect it, like it's 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 one of those projects that you really can take something different away each time you listen to it, or you notice this uh, this one line here or this like like what you did, and it's like, oh man, Tone just did that, like um, so. You know, also just being man, like like older than I was, man, when I started, like just being able to relate to it more, um, mm-hmm. and really like identify with it, man. So I really appreciate the album, man. Um, I appreciate your time doing this, man, and just like for what you've done over the years, man, like setting the blueprint, man, for what an independent label should represent, what it should be, man, and, and doing it yourself, man. Like like you guys always said, man, with no rich relatives, um, you know, just <laughs> really doing it yourself. Um, so you know, much props, man, Thank for, you. for what you did, man. And you know, um, you know, I hope I hope more people keep checking out Polymer, man, and getting put onto it, man, because it's one of those albums that I feel uh, was definitely slept on in, in some ways. You know, like especially if you look at like year end lists, and it should have been on mm-hmm. on you know the best of lists, man, and it's not. So um, you know, part of what I want to do, man, is make sure people actually check that album out. Thank you. I really do appreciate that, brother. It means a lot to me. Um, and just being able to, you know, talk talk uh, with with somebody who, you know, has been kind of watching us for for a long time and has has a frame of reference. You know what I'm saying? It, it means a lot, and I appreciate your support and all the things you've been helping do. 
um, behind the scenes as well. So much appreciated, bro. Thanks for, for, for the interview.